What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Kim Daniels, who is an emotional eating coach with a doctoral degree in clinical psychology, who's been working with women who struggle with eating disorders and disordered eating for over 20 years. She's also a certified intuitive eating counselor and is the host of the Emotional Eating and Everything Else podcast. Dr. Daniels combines internal family systems, which is shortened as IFS, and intuitive eating approaches to help her clients exit diet culture, make peace with food, and respect their bodies. So don't worry, this this episode has both myself, Sammy, and Jenna on it, um, but you just have me for the intro. And I'm really, really excited to share this conversation with you guys because I don't really know if we've done a podcast that's just emotional eating based. I know we, we brush over it probably in a lot of our podcasts, but what's really cool is that we dive deep into what emotional eating is kind of the reasons behind it. And then we also have Dr. Kim Daniels on who brings in this whole other approach of IFS and something that really Jenna and I didn't know much about before this podcast. Um, now with intuitive eating and with our certifications, there's things similar to IFS, but not the actual practice of it. So it was a really fun episode for Jenna and I, because we got to learn. Um, we're always learning from our guests, but we get to learn about something that we didn't really know much about. And there's also a great nugget in here. And I'm not going to say too much because I definitely think, uh, you know, Dr. Kim Daniels does a great job of explaining, but Jenna asked a wonderful question on how you can really spot um, a coach in the wellness field who's either full of shit or one who has an actual credible background, which is really important. And something, again, we always talk about is just that credibility piece um, when you're on social media platforms and, and how to sniff out more of a fraud versus someone who's really credible that you can trust. So this episode is amazing and it opens with some pretty spectacular what the actual fork moments um both Jenna and Dr. Kim Daniels share them so I'm not even going to give you one because we have two in this episode that are amazing um so I'm going to stop talking so you can listen to this amazing episode and without further ado I bring you Dr. Kim Daniels welcome back to another episode of what the actual fork podcast Kim thank you so much for being here with us Thank you so much for having me here. I'm glad to be here. Yes. So before we pop in 
to your kind of your background and hear more about how you got to where you are today, which we definitely want to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love to start our episodes by asking our guests, um, what has been a recent moment in time for you that kind of stopped you in your tracks? We like to call it our what the actual fork moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's been recent or if it's just been like one that you always think of when you get asked a question about diet culture, what comes up for you? Well, I mean, there's a million of them, right? I'm sure we could all come up with a million of them, but I actually did have one. I've had two actually in the past week. Um, One was, I I have a podcast as well. It's much smaller than yours, Um, but I, I get pitched on it every once in a while, as I'm sure you do as well. And so you have this total stranger who clearly has never looked at the, even the introduction to the podcast and saying, oh, I have this person who's going to be a great guest. So I had somebody do that last week and it was a weight loss coach. So again, didn't, didn't read anything that has to do with it, with my stuff at all. Um, and I'm looking at her one sheet right now, but one of those people that, um, has no, like, I think it says like on her website, she was an accounting executive or something and then lost all this weight. And so now I'm going to teach you how to do the same thing because I know how to do that. Right. Like we went to school for these kinds of things, but you don't really need to, obviously. Um, so, um, so she, so her thing is, um, again, I'm looking at it right now. Some of the suggested topic, suggested topics were the one that really killed me was how weight loss leads to professional growth. And I literally, I lost, I lost my mind a little bit on that one. I'm like calling my friends going, can you even believe this? Like now we can't have professional growth without weight loss unbelievable unbelievable so that was an what the fuck moment for sure for sure wait Kim you are speaking my language because I literally like my head popped off today and I was tagged in something about it was like gut health but turned into like sexifying it and this girl was literally sorry Sammy this is my WTF moment from for our intro but She was literally eating this yogurt that I used to eat when I was super disordered. Like I would literally search Manhattan for it. Okay. $13 a yogurt. And in her video, she said, I ate this yogurt and it just naturally gave me abs. And I lost my fucking mind. Like I cannot even describe to you. I threw my phone. My dog freaked out. He hates when I get emotional. Like I, I was like, I don't even know what to say anymore. Like oh my it just God. reminded me of the exact same response that you had to the weight loss and professional growth. <laughs> We have to shrink ourselves to grow professionally. Is that what the message is? That's, and we have to eat yeah. two tablespoons of probiotic yogurt that literally costs thirteen dollars a jar, and the jar's this big to get natural. Like that doesn't even make sense. Like I, but it had three million views. But that's besides the point. Of course, of course, of oh. course. Yeah, I'm sure this person has a booming business, right? <laughs> like, okay. Oh my okay. gosh. Well, Jenna and I have talked about doing an episode that's like how to spot misinformation. Jen, I think I thought I saw your stories on that the other day too, starting to talk about that. So I feel like yes. we just need to come back to that. Oh. And I feel like for you, Kim, I mean, you're eyes switching. Yeah. <laughs> for Kim's moment though, like that speaks to so much of like the discrimination in the workplace, right? Because how many people are fat phobic and people yes. in larger bodies do get discriminated against. And that's like a perfect example. Someone's using that as a topic for their business. Like that's yes. 
Yes. Yes. It completely plays into that. It's really, it's really disturbing. And I haven't quite figured out how I want to respond to that yet, because like we all know, it's like, she's not going to let this person isn't going to listen to what I say. If I respond and say, I think you're doing harm, but I feel like I kind of need to at least throw that out there and just say, maybe you should think about this, but good for we'll you. See. I we'll feel see. like Jenna and I, do we just delete those? I feel like I, we get that I just, I'm like, trash. <laughs> Podcast yeah. manager forwards them to us and says, want to laugh? And we're yeah. like, no. What's a laugh today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's hard to know which ones to sort of say, eh, just let it go. Cause you're not going to change anybody's mind. So it yes. is what it is. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. And <laughs> we would love to hear. So obviously, you know, Kim, you're this emotional eating coach. You have a doctoral degree in clinical psychology. You Mm -hmm. probably haven't always done that. So what (laughs) drew you to this field? What, what is your story, both personally, professionally, how did you get to where you are today? So I have a few years on both of you. I started grad school in 1995. So um, I always wanted to be a psychologist. I don't know why that probably says something about me, but um, so always wanted to be a psychologist, was always interested in eating disorders. And I'm not somebody who has a history necessarily of an eating disorder. Um, That's not my story. I know that's a lot of people's stories, but it's not mine, but I've always been a food person. I've always been an emotional eater, always. Like that's my go-to. I would rather have food as opposed to wine, as opposed to anything, like just give me some good chocolate and I'm happy. Um, So I was always really interested in that. And when I went to grad school, didn't have a lot of opportunity to necessarily train in that. Um, So when I was doing a postdoctoral fellowship, I was at a hospital here in Connecticut and they started a bariatric surgery program. And so my supervisor at the time was like, oh, well, you're interested in eating disorders. Why don't you go do that? And I was like, I don't know anything about this. Like, oh, so again, this is back in like 2000. So I started doing a bunch of research on it. And of course, what am I researching? I'm researching in medical journals, right? Which is talking all about the horror of, you know, the big obesity word and um, how weight loss fixes absolutely everything. So I'm thinking, great, I'm being really helpful to people. I'm helping people through this process. I was the person who did sort of the the pre-op evaluations and ran support groups afterwards and things like that. And initially really thought I was helping people and then sort of started to see things crumble uh, the longer I worked with those folks. It was kind of, um, you know, the folks who obviously still struggled with their relationship with food afterwards, the folks who were doing everything right, and I say that in air quotes, in terms of what the protocol is, and were still regaining or not losing, their body wasn't cooperating. And it was, of course, this whole shame-filled what's wrong with me that I can't do that even surgery doesn't work. Like, I mean, the amount of shame that people experience with that is horrific, even though they're doing nothing wrong. Um, And so just eventually it was honestly a client who reached out to me. I'm in private practice now. I have been for a few years and a client who reached out to me and said, I've had like every eating disorder in the book and I really want to work on my relationship with food. Um, I've seen other therapists and all they do is, is support dieting for me. So like, are you willing to work from a health at every size perspective? And I was kind of like, well, I've heard of that, but I don't know that much about it. And so kind of dove into that and went, oh, this is what I should have been doing for the past however many years, (laughs) Um, which led me to intuitive eating and sort of went through that whole certification process. And, um, and now I just work 
in a completely different way with people. And I don't like, I'm not somebody who's adamantly opposed to surgery. I feel like there are people who have benefited from that. Um, and I still have people that like I initially met like 20 years ago who were, they were going through that and they came back years later to work on other things. And it's just a non-issue. Um, so I'm not like, I'm not opposed to it. We should all have bodily autonomy. Um, but there are, there are problems with it for sure. And you have to go into it with your eyes wide, wide, wide open. Um, but so, so, you know, again, I've been, I've been a psychologist for 20 some years and moving into coaching now because I've just, I, my personal feeling is that there's still a lot of therapists who are very steeped in diet culture. I feel like, like the, the, um, the field of dietetics has moved on in a lot of ways and therapists, yeah, you guys are both like, I was going to say therapy sounds a lot like dietitians. <laughs> I was, I, that's literally what I was thinking. I was like, oh, every field must be struggling. It must just be that you're surrounding yourself with the right dietitians, Kim. That's, that's what very you're doing. true. That is very true. That is very true. And so I, so there's a lot of therapists. My, again, I used to be that therapist. I get it. Um, who are still, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So um, who are still really sort of steeped in that. And so I kind of was like, and I've had people that have reached out from other states. And as a therapist, I can't work with them because we're only licensed in our state. And yeah, there's just a lot of roadblocks. So kind of going into coaching to be able to sort of have a, a, a wider reach with that. I'm really glad you brought that up, Kim, because that was one of my questions for you. Mm. I think there's confusion in like, we spend a lot of time, actually, my phone yelled at me today because by I think one o'clock I hit my two hours on TikTok and I was like, oh, fuck, um, I have it like, so it beeps at me. I have to enter a pass uh, password, but that's where my day was. Um, but I think a lot of the questions that I get from people and the people that I communicate with is like, but this person says they're a hormone coach, or this person says they're a, a detox coach. Obviously they're, these are very different things from what you are, but mm -hmm. how can we help people understand that you are a psychologist and not just, you know, using the right. word coach, right? I do think that, and I mean, I call myself a nutrition coach. So like, I get it. Um, it's difficult, but I do think it would be a great thing to just kind of share in like a broader conversation on here. I think that's a great question. And nobody's ever asked me that before. And it's so hard because technically, ethically, I have, I have two completely separate businesses. I have to, right. So I have my therapy umbrella and I have my coaching umbrella and it's like, never the two shall meet. Right. Um, so it's really, I, technically I'm not even allowed to say like in my coaching stuff, I have, I have a degree in clinical psychology because I can't really call myself a psychologist under the coaching heading because that's my license, right? I can talk about my degree, but not my license. So it's like, it, it's kind of ridiculous that we have to play these games because then people, I still have people who reach out to me and go, oh, I want to see you for therapy. And they're reaching out under my coaching umbrella. And it's like, I, I can't see you for therapy. You're like in Arkansas or something. And I'm not licensed there. Right. So I have to do a lot of education on this is what I can do and what I can't do. Me personally, I am only licensed in Connecticut as a therapist. That's it. Um, so the emotional eating coach, I can kind of do anywhere and Yes, of course, I use my training in psychology with my coaching. Um, we're not going to do therapy when we're doing coaching. Um, and there is obviously education on what the differences between those things are. But it is, it's really tough. And again, it's like if you're trying, and I've seen people who just put everything all in one. If you want coaching, 
do this. If you want to see me for therapy, do that. And it's like, technically, at least in my state, we're not allowed to do that, which creates confusion, but it's also like, you want to be an ethical business person, obviously. So, uh, but it, it is, it is really hard. And so I think, I guess the advice that I would give um, is if you're looking for somebody who's calling them any type of like emotional eating coach or anything like that, do they have any kind of background in behavioral health training, like anything at all? <laughs> because that's really important. Again, or you have somebody who's an advertising executive <laughs> who's now calling themselves an emotional eating coach and they have no background whatsoever, or they took a workshop or something. So I think it's really important that therapists can at least speak to their training even when they're in the coaching side. I love that. Thank you for clarifying that. And I didn't mean to put you on the spot with it. No. I just knew you'd have the right answer um, because like the gut health coaches that come out in droves and like all of these people, like that's so different. And I just want to make sure like the word coach doesn't get lost in any translation. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. Especially like with what you said previously of the person that applied or that wants to be on your podcast, like anybody who has lost weight or healed their gut, quote unquote, heavy air quotes now thinks that they're an expert to do this for other people. So especially when it comes to emotional eating, like a background in mental health is very important. So with with that, let's talk about emotional eating. What is it? (laughs) That's a great question. I kind of see it as like this umbrella term that people use if they're maybe a binge eater. Um, Like people say, well, I'm a comfort eater. I'm a stress eater. I'm an overeater. I don't love that phrase, but uh, you know what I mean? Like eating, eating when you're not hungry, eating to the point of feeling uncomfortable, things like that, but basically turning to food for some kind of emotional reason. And I really feel like, and I, and I'm sure you two share this, that like, there's nothing, we were talking about this before we recorded, there's nothing wrong with emotional eating, right? There's a lot of people out there putting this messaging out there about how you can end emotional eating. And I don't think that's doable. And I don't think that's even necessary. I don't think that's the point. If you're somebody who, yes, I'm doing this all day, every day, then sure, we want to we want to take a look at that, but we don't need to never turn to food again. I mean, food is super comforting. Like we know that it has an impact even physically on your body, right? Forget the emotional piece. We know that, and we know that food is something that I mean, people use food to comfort each other all the time. We nurture each other with food all the time. When you think about, I mean, you two have babies. It's like what what's one of the main ways you nurture your infant is feeding them right and so now all of a sudden we're supposed to take that away from you because you're an adult like it doesn't make any sense and so for a lot of us i think anyway we develop emotional eating practices when we're little because we don't have other coping skills as kids right so a lot of us who are emotional eaters started that as kids because it's the one thing that we have available to us You know, we can't like drive ourselves to therapy or, you know, talk to our friends or anything like that. So um, it's the one thing that we have access to, hopefully, is food. Um, And so a lot of us sort of start that in our childhood and it just kind of just continues as this pattern and sort of this coping skill um, into adulthood. And then, of course, now we're shamed and blamed for it and told we shouldn't do it anymore. And we sort of go into this, you know, maybe whatever. Again, see a therapist who might be willing to work with you on, Hey, here's how we stop that. Um, or you go into some coaching program or something like that. And then sure enough, 
however much time goes by and you're back at it again, because of course you are, you're a human being and food is delicious and wonderful. So, um, so that's kind of, that's, that's my view anyway, on what emotional eating is. The goal is not to end it. The goal is to just understand your relationship with food. And, you know, maybe we need to develop more coping skills and maybe we need to fix some things in your life that are always the trigger for you. And those are the things that we need to work on. And the eating kind of subsides once, you know, once we kind of, um, kind of work on those things. So. I love that. And I love how you really accentuated like food as a coping mechanism in addition to other healthy coping mechanisms, not, you know, so many people say like to stop binge eating completely, right. You're never going to do it again. And it's like, no, it's in addition to other coping mechanisms. Cause it is a coping mechanism. Absolutely. Um, so I would love to hear from you, you know, we obviously looked into your background before we had you on the show and we saw that you use this model called IFS or internal family system. So I would love to hear how that integrates into your support with your clients in addition to intuitive eating. Cause when mm -hmm. I think of emotional eating, I think of coping with emotions, with kindness, that principle, right. Understanding what we're feeling, um, and what we need in that moment. So what is IFS and how does that pull into emotional eating? Okay, great. I'm so glad you asked about that. So IFS, I, it's hard to explain. So I'm starting off really great here, but I, it's funny. I heard the, the person who created, who, uh, who created IFS is a psychologist named um, Richard Schwartz. He's still, he's still, he's still with us. Um, I just heard him on somebody else's podcast like a couple weeks ago. And he's like, I don't really have a great like way of explaining this. So I'm like, oh good. It's not just me. The guy who created it has a hard time explaining it then. What chance do I have? But I have that. So there's two ways of, of kind of explaining it that kind of water it down. The first is, have you ever seen the movie um, Inside Out? The Disney Pixar movie Inside Out. Okay. That is like a basic form of IFS. So she had like five parts in her mind that kind of made up her mind, right? So she had joy, anger, um, sadness, um, fear, and disgust, right? And each part, we call those parts, each part of her kind of came out when it was needed, right? To sort of do whatever it needed to do and kind of protect her in some way, okay? So that is a very basic watered down version of IFS. The belief is that we don't just have one personality. We essentially, I kind of say we all have multiple personality disorder and there's nothing wrong with that, right? So, um, so we have, so, so we have multiple, we, we have probably dozens of parts that the idea is that we're kind of born with these parts and they sort of take on different beliefs and different feelings um, based on our experiences and certainly um, significant experiences like trauma or attachment issues or things like that. And so they develop sort of jobs in our system. So um, you've probably had the experience of saying, well, part of me really wants that, but part of me doesn't, right? So IFS would say there literally are two different parts in your brain that have different feelings and opinions about things. And so when we look at food, we have parts of us that have learned that food is a coping skill, that have learned that food kind of calms me down or distracts me or like completely numbs me out. And so when I get triggered, this is the thing that this part of me knows what to do, right? I, I'm just gonna go get some chocolate and that'll make me feel better, right? So with IFS, the whole thing is really getting to know these parts and really, it sounds crazy. Sounds crazy. I always tell people when I first start with them, 
this sounds insane, but you're going to be having conversations with yourself and it's okay. <laughs> and everybody kind of goes, oh my God, like some people can really see their parts. I'm one of those people. They look like separate little people in there. I know that sounds insane, but, um, but it really, I mean, it really honestly works. And so with IFS, again, what's great about one of the one things that, that I really like about it is that it's not pathologizing. Like the field of psychiatry is incredibly pathologizing. Like I don't even like mental health disorder. Like it's so much of what we consider to be symptoms are just very normal reactions to trauma and, you know, difficult life experiences. Right. So, so IFS, basically, we don't really believe in diagnoses because they're really pathologizing. And we sort of see them as this is, these are your parts way of protecting you. Like if you think about anxiety, if I think about everything that could possibly go wrong, I'm going to be able to, like, I'm going to fend off anything that might happen, right? So it's actually trying to be helpful to you. Um, and same thing with eating. Again, it's like, um, like a part of you might get triggered. And so here's, again, another part will pop up and say, here's, here's how I can handle that. I know that when we eat chocolate, we feel better, right? And so with IFS, how I kind of incorporate it with eating is, really sort of like we have to have that moment of kind of catching ourselves when we know we're eating when we're not hungry. So, I mean, that's a piece of it. And it's just checking in with yourself and sort of going, okay, who's running the show right now? And a lot of us really feel like when you stop and think about it, those moments that we're going to food, we don't really feel like sort of the competent, capable adult that we actually are, right? And so we, we, we believe that parts are often stuck in the past. So again, when we develop these um, sort of emotional eating behaviors as kids, those are still sort of our kid parts kind of run in the show. You know, like I know how to fix this. I'll go to food instead of maybe a more grown up response that we've learned as we're older. So you've probably heard the phrase like inner child work. I mean, that's kind of similar to IFS, right? Um, so we have a lot of parts in there that get triggered. And again, we have other protector parts that go food, food is the answer, right? And then we also have, um, we also have parts that have learned diet culture very, very well, right? So very often, especially, especially with binge eating, we have parts that are restricting because they've been told that's what they're supposed to do. You know, maybe you're somebody who, um, whose parent told them they needed to lose weight, uh, you know, your whole life. We've all heard those stories or maybe been that person. Um, and so you have parts in there that really just feel not good enough because of their because of your body size. And so we have other parts that go, okay, I know how to work with that. We're just going to stop eating. We're going to restrict. We're going to diet. This is how we stay safe. This is how we fit into our society. This is how mom loves me. This is how my partner loves me, whatever. We're going to diet. We're going to lose weight. After a while though, we have parts that are just like, I can't stand this anymore. You know, like totally like, fuck this. Like we, we have to eat all the things because I can't do this anymore. Right. So then those parts kind of run the show for a little bit. Right. And then eventually that subsides and our dieting parts kick back in, but very often kick back in even harder than our binge eating parts, right? Because see, I'm an out of control person. I can't control myself around food. I need to take away even more things. I need to put in more rules into place, whatever. And it's just this bouncing back and forth between different parts. If that makes any sense whatsoever. That absolutely makes sense. And Jenna, I know I see you want to talk to, so I want to say some things and hand it over to you. It's kind of reminding me when we went through the certified intuitive eating counselor certification, 
two of challenging the food police and yes. like naming the voices, right? So like nutrition yes. informant, food police, anthropologists. And I think that is such a, obviously it's different, but I think that's such a great activity of like naming those things and recognizing them because so often we think that those voices are like ourselves. And like, I guess in your yeah. sense, they are in a way, but it's like, where did they come from? And right. And they, they learned messages from the outside. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. You're absolutely right. And before I hand it over to Jenna, I was giggling when you said the movie Inside Out because my husband and I literally have the video of anger on our phone because Sienna, my daughter, if we like take the bottle away from her to like burp her, she like makes the exact face and her hair right now is sticking up where it looks like the fire and she'll just go. <laughs> and she looks just like anger from that video. I love and it. We couldn't figure out, we're like, what cartoon does she look like when she's at? And it's that. And so we love that movie. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's awesome. Totally off yeah, topic. That's awesome. Yeah, that's no. Not it's off topic. <laughs> I was just going to say, I've actually done, I did a, um, like a coaching certification program um, from, through a friend of mine months ago. And one of the things, one of the activities that she put us through was something that she calls in her world, um, parts integration. And it was kind of like naming, like what you were just describing, like parts of you that believe, you know, something that's holding you back from stepping into, you know, the best version of yourself. And I was also one of those people that had this like a vivid image of, and like mine had colors and glitter and like, it was an animal, like it was wild. And so I can see how, when you do it with, this specific intention, you could probably see yourself as a kid or, you know, different stages of your life and feeling those emotions. And so what I wanted to just ask is, would, is this possible that like, you can have two parts kind of competing against each other at the same time? Like, yeah, absolutely. Sort of like the emotional capacity that we're feeling when it's like, I should have this. I shouldn't have this. I should do this. All of those conversations are kind of going through. Yes. I, that's a great point. And what we call that like polarizations, that's kind of, you know, like the restriction versus binge eating, right? So it's like, you have two parts on, on the opposite ends of the, of the spectrum. And it's like, they each keep getting louder to kind of, you know, like stake their claim and like, no, 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 you need to do this. No, 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 no. You need to do this. And so, but, but it's also, I mean, it can be way more than two parts. Like if you think about, say you're, you're standing in front of your absolute favorite food, right? And to begin IFS, just to say one thing, it's like, just notice the thoughts that you have. Like a cognitive behavioral therapist would say, oh, those are your thoughts. And IFS therapists would say, those are your parts, right? So it's like, say you're faced with your absolute favorite food. You're going to have a part potentially that says, oh my God, I love that. I can't wait to have that. Maybe a part that says, oh, no, we can't have that. That's too, oh, that's too fattening. Another part that says, no, 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 we need to eat it all because starting tomorrow, we're not going to have any of it. Another part that says, oh, but if we do that, we're going to feel terrible about ourselves. Like, so there could be a whole host of parts that are popping up just because of like one cupcake that you're looking at or a piece of cheesecake or something, you know? So, and they're all kind of vying for attention. And so with IFS, we also believe that in addition to parts, we have sort of this core self that's very sort of like calm and compassionate. And we teach people how to sort of try to get, we kind of call it like get those parts to kind of step back and kind of ground yourself in that sort of self energy. And then you can sort of see these parts and kind of go, okay, I hear what you're saying. And I hear what you're saying. And I hear what you're saying. And I hear what you're saying. Let's kind of all have a little discussion on what makes the most sense right now. 
right? And, and sometimes even with emotional eating, that might be, we're going to eat the cheesecake. We're going to eat the cheesecake. And, but it might be, you know what, actually, you know, like I'm, I'm wanting the cheesecake because I got into a fight with my boyfriend and maybe I should go talk to my boyfriend or, you know, something like that. It might be something completely different that another part says, you know, what actually might work better right now is doing this other thing. Right. But it's really just, again, having that at that time and that space to sort of check in with all of those parts and kind of go, I kind of call it like who's at the table um, and sort of seeing like, what is everybody, everybody's motivation right now? But you're actually right. There, there could be two parts that are kind of like, no, we should do this. Yes, we should. No, we shouldn't. Uh, you know, and that's so often the struggle that people have when they're faced with foods like that, or even just feeling like, oh, I want to eat something, but I know I'm not hungry. Oh, I shouldn't do it. But yes, you should, Ugh. you know, there's all that, um, there's just that noise in our, in our minds. And so when we can sort of start to identify and, and one piece of IFS that I think fits really well with intuitive eating is the focus on the body. Like our feelings and our parts live in our bodies. And so when you think about it, you know, they talk about, um, you know, every feeling has a different physical feeling, right? We talk about that a lot in intuitive eating. And so IFS is like one of the first things that we do when we're working with parts is like, where do you, where in your body do you notice that part? And so you can get to know your parts and sort of go, oh, every time I feel this part that's like in my throat, ah, that's the part of me that wants whatever. So I need to check in with that part and see what's going on. So you get to kind of know the cast of characters um, and like who tends to lead you to food, who doesn't. And again, it's really all about just kind of bringing everybody together to have a conversation and say like, what makes the most sense? I mean, it can get more complicated because we do have, like we have our protective parts and then we have sort of what we call our exiles and our exiles are the parts that are kind of carrying the burdens and the pain and things like that. And we do have like a whole process of helping those parts just let go of that. And then, you know, then your protector parts don't have to work so hard when we can sort of, you know, say you have a protector part that every time this other little exile gets triggered, it leads you to food. Well, if we can help that little exile not get triggered, we don't have to go to food so much anymore. So there's that piece of it as well. But even just getting started with this whole idea, I, I personally think just knowing that these are parts that are trying to be helpful to you. Like, again, you're not, we're so, you even in this, even in my field, it's like, oh, we have to stop that binge eating because it's bad for you. And to be able to really flip that around and say, it's actually a part that's trying to help you. You know, when you think about it, like binge eating is a way of just completely numbing your system, you know, and, and zoning out. And maybe that's what you need to do right now. You know, you think about coping skills, food is really not the worst. It's not the worst, you know? So, um, so being able to look at this as these are parts that are trying to be helpful to me and it's not something I'm trying to get rid of. Um, and that's why so often other therapies and other, you know, and, and even to some degree intuitive eating, if you're trying to do sort of intuitive eating straight by the book and you're somebody who has a long history of an emotional attachment with food, it may not be super successful because you're not really getting at the heart of the parts of you that are turning to, that are still maybe turning or parts that are terrified of letting go of dieting. Like that's terrifying. Right. So, you know, so I, so I, again, I'm a little biased with that, given my getting, given my background, but I think that's an important piece of it that um, sometimes people miss is that they're just trying to do the behaviors and they're not sort of getting underneath that and looking at the emotional piece to it. So well said. And I love two things you've said that have kind of stuck with me. I love like little terms or analogies, but like who are the cast of characters and who's at the table? 
I feel like those are so powerful. And so for any of our listeners, I feel like that's something they can really walk away from this conversation with is like, who's at my table if I had to name them, right? Like who are those people? Who are the characters um, that are coming up for me? Great. There we go. Sorry. Um, (laughs) I also just want to add to that. I, I love the way that you've put it into perspective that the competing emotions and things that we're feeling, like what if we wrap our brains around the fact that they're actually trying to protect us? Like Sam and I say this all the time in different arenas of social media, like cravings, like they're actually protective and telling us something or like you binge ate maybe because you didn't eat all day. Like these are things that your body's doing as a mechanism to save you. And it's on your team. And I think from like a mental health perspective and a physical health perspective, if more people could understand that, like when your body talks to you, your brain talks to you, if we could listen Mm -hmm. (laughs) instead of try to just fix everything, quote unquote, there's just so much to learn there. So I really love the way you put that into perspective. And I love the way that you help your people with emotional eating. It's amazing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. And I think that's so, that's very true. It's like, there's, there's your body is responding to dieting and deprivation from a physical standpoint, but your parts are also responding to that as well, because you're depriving them of this emotional comfort that they've, that they've learned is so incredibly helpful to them. And so it's like, you know, the, the, the dieting and the deprivation is doing harm in both, in both ways. So, but you're right. Like if you're just paying attention to your body and that is such an important piece physically and emotionally, you're all the answers are there. If you're just paying attention to what's going on in your body, I couldn't agree more. And I just love also, and this is where I'll stop, Sam. Um, but I just love that. I mean, you're so well spoken and you're so educated on these topics. And it's clear that like you've you've done the research and gone to school, and there are just people out there that are like, just do this, and I have a viral video and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like I just hope that people that listen to this podcast can just walk away knowing there is support out there from people that actually care about your health outcomes. Um, that's that. really a huge takeaway. And I do think, unfortunately, there's also this message out there that emotional eating isn't really a thing. And if you just right. stop dieting, that thing that we call emotional eating will just go away. And it's like, I, I don't agree with that at all. I think that there are pieces of that that makes sense. That if we're like dieting and starving and deprived, we're obviously, we're not, we're going to, our body is going to be stressed out anyway, and our parts are going to have to react however they can. But lots of people who aren't dieting are emotional eaters. Like I was not a huge dieter, but I absolutely have always been an emotional eater. So it wasn't about that for me. So I feel like that's a dangerous message that's going on as well. And people are disappointed because uh, I did all the things and I stopped dieting and yet I'm still, I'm still turning to food. So, um, it's really, it's, it's just not that simple. It's not that simple. I love that you said that. Cause I know I've had clients both ways where they called themselves an emotional eater thinking it was emotional eating. And they're like, Oh no, I was really just fucking hungry. Right. And it's like, Oh, crazy. Like when you honor your hunger, but again, you can be hungry and emotional at the same time. Right. right. Which is different. Right. So there's, 
there's a lot of nuance that goes into it, but thank you for that distinction. Cause I think that's and so you can eat for all different emotions, right? right. Like you can right. be an emotional eater when you're happy or sad or everything in between. And I often think that gets missed too. It's there's a lot of stigma that it's when you're sad or quote unquote depressed or experiencing anxiety, but like you could be filled with joy and want to celebrate with food. Right. So I, there's a lot, there's a lot there. No, and I appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's also to say, oh, I'm an emotional or I'm a comfort eater. Okay, maybe, but you might have like five different parts of you that sort of lead you to food for comfort for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so to just sort of say, well, this drives me nuts too, when people are like, oh, I'm a stress eater. Oh, well then, you know what? The next time you feel like walking when you're eating, when you're stressed, go for a walk or something. It's like, are you freaking like, that's not... (laughs) Uh, what if it's three o'clock in the morning and raining? What am I supposed mm-hmm. to do now? So that kind of that one size fits all. Here's how to deal with stress eating. Again, you need to figure out what's underneath the stress, right? So to mm-hmm. just sort of say, oh, I'm an emotional eater. So therefore I need to do this. Like, you know, like Jenna, like you're saying, there's a, there's a lot of different emotions that might be leading you to eating. And those are different parts that need different things. And so you have to figure out like, Again, who's at the table right now? Who's leading me to the pantry right now? I have to figure out what, who that part is and what they need. I love that. We're going to stop right there and we're going to call it who's at the table because I think that, I feel like that has to be, we have to work in emotional eating into the title, but I just love it. So people know. Yes. They're going to be like, what table are they sitting at? What is this episode about? Like, did one of them die? Yes. But I love, I love like little analogies and just slogans like that because I feel like I'm going to take that now. So I'm going to have to quote you all the time, Kim Daniels. (laughs) Like at Kim Daniels. Um, So Kim, for those listening who are like, Mm -hmm. okay, this really spoke to me. I want to learn more. Where's the best place that they can find you? So um, my website is your weight is not your worth.com. My Instagram handle handle is at Kim Daniels side, which is P S Y D. Um, And I do have, I do have like some, some freebies that they can look at too. I do have like these little cheat sheets to help you get to know your parts. So those are at bit.ly slash eatingparts.com. I have um, like a a little mini e-course that you can do for free called, um, again, it's at bit.ly slash exitingdietculture.com. And then I have sort of like an intuitive eating thing. Uh, It's like a five-day challenge that's at bit.ly slash eatingintentionally.com. So those are all freebies that you can do as well. Um, My plan is to do like an IFS webinar or like a free webinar at some point and kind of talk about this kind of stuff as well. I don't have that scheduled yet, but if you, if you grab any of those things, you're going to be on my list and you'll get all the information for it. So um, I am on TikTok, but like barely. So I'm not even going to put that out there. (laughs) I'm not like you. You're the smart one. Yeah, I was going to say, as long as you can. for your mental um, health, continue <laughs> what you're doing currently, or you'll hear Jenna and I talk about that in basically every episode. Uh, I don't well, blame you. It's not easy. Yes. Oh. Well, thank you so much for being here, Kim. No, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves and follow along with us on social at What the Actual Fork Pod. 
We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.